Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu, right here on LA Talk Radio. Midnight Storm, a brilliantly fast grade one winner by Pioneer of the Nile. Mike Smith just points him in the right direction. Midnight Storm dominating. Millionaire and seven-time graded stakes winner on dirt and turf. Midnight Storm over accelerators, finding the line well, but not well enough. And Midnight Storm has taken it by two lengths. From America's hottest sire line. Midnight Storm, he wins it this year. Midnight Storm. Standing at TaylorMade Farm. Horse Ownership Experience is brought to you by TaylorMade Farm. Call Travis White. I'm going to give you a cell, 859-396-3508. Call him today to book your mare to Midnight Storm at TaylorMade. And uh, this is the Horse Ownership Experience. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of Little Red Feather Racing Club. It is Tuesday, March 19th. Alongside of me, as always, is the great Michelle Yu. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Billy. I think there's someone else. We have a very, very special guest in here in studio today. Her name is Rita Koch. She is my mom. Mom, say hello to our audience. Hi, everybody. That's Rita. She's a huge horse racing fan, big fan of Tiz Now. She's going to stay on the show and comment and have questions every once in a while. You know, Michelle, real quick, we we started the show uh, with TaylorMade's Midnight Storm and... Unfortunately, we found out yesterday there was a, uh, a pa- the passing of Midnight Storm sire, Pioneer of the Nile, who's also the sire of Triple Crown winner, American Pharaoh, amongst many, many others. And it's uh, a devastating news for the industry. And we just, our hearts, our heartfelt thoughts go out to Windstar, uh, the Zayat family, Bob Baffert, and everybody who is associated with Pioneer of the Nile. You know, what's uh, strange is it was just a couple months ago that his dam, Star of Goshen, died. And, like, for some reason it kind of got said that he passed when she died because it was like Sire, our dam, a pioneer right, in the Nile. Right, And so it was almost like, oh, how crazy, you know, it was, like, foretold. And he was super young. He was only 13. And they said he had some difficulties after um, breeding a mare. And he died, but, but before they even were able to get him all the way to the clinic. Yeah, and... Uh... Yeah, unfortunately, these things happen, and we've said this many times on our show, and all we can do is uh, say thank you to Pioneer of the Nile, and hopefully a horse like Midnight Storm can uh, carry the mantle and American Pharaoh, so I'm sure some of these, some of his sons will uh, will carry his mantle. Do we you have, have stormy babies on the ground? There are stormy babies on the ground. They're how they very, look? I haven't, they're I haven't very cute. Any. They're very cute, Michelle. I don't know how they look. I, one was huge, I was told, 38 yeah. pounds or something. 138 pounds. 138 pounds. I meant. Pat, my mom is laughing. 38 pounds would not be a positive. Very small. I meant 138. Pat Cummings is on the show from the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. We're going to talk to him in about 10 minutes. Uh, Pat has some uh, great ideas that if you go on their website, their website is, uh, I was just looking at it. It's Racing Think Tank. RacingThinkTank.com. So we'll, we'll find out from Pat what's going on. He is the executive director. Um. Michelle, we had so much action this weekend. I think we should go right to the stakes uh, review because there were some major Kentucky Derby preps, and let's get into that really quick before we uh, before Pat comes on because I'm sure our audience is very interested to hear what we feel. And okay, think. so 
Over at Oaklawn, the Rebel Rebel. Uh, Rebel Rebel. Of the closure of Santa Anita, <laughs> Arkansas put in a ton of money and offered to split the Rebel stakes. So I think that was a great thing. They didn't draw the 20 horses that they wanted, but they drew 18, and then one was a gate scratch. So you had an eight-horse field and a nine-horse field, but still not terrible overall. And everyone said, oh, Bob Baffert can't lose. But you know what? He got beat twice. Yeah, it, it was interesting, the the – Headline in the LA Times said Baffert goes 0 for 2 at Rebel. Meanwhile, let's let's really look back on on the races. First of all, um, in the s- second division, Omaha Beach for uh, Rick Porter defeated first time versus winners. Wasn't first time it? winners. Yeah. Yep, first time winners um, for uh, uh, Richard Mandela and mm-hmm. Fox Hill Farms. Uh, outdueled game winner and for the Wests and Baffert and Joel Rosario. I, I feel like... Uh, but wait a second. I mean, okay. I'm just going to say, first of all, two very, very talented horses. Uh, game winner wants more distance. You could see that. He was still coming on. I, I The margin of victory was extremely small. I thought... I mean, it was the tiny. I thought Omaha Beach won easily, like one, you know, by like a half a head or something. But when you saw the photo, it was extremely close. Take nothing away from game winner. You, uh, everybody knows it, that he missed a little time at Southern California. So did Omaha Beach with all the weather and the crazy tracks that we've had. I think both horses are really nice. And, and I, I don't knock game winner for not winning that race i thought he ran excellent mm-hmm. mom are you a fan I of bob baffert omaha beach got a better ride you thought omaha beach got mom what are you friend baffert you how do you feel about baffert i like his horses you do i do they're always well prepared very well prepared do you think very well trained okay good so that was the second half and and i heard i just read uh, omaha beach comes back possibly in the arkansas derby Game winner stays in California, I believe, for the San Anita Derby. And then Improbable, who was second in the first division, right, uh, is going to be heading back for the Arkansas Derby. So t- Improbable, which is team uh, team Justify, right? China Horse Club, uh, Starlight, all the you know the mm-hmm. China, um, Windstar. Uh, he also was undefeated going into the race. He ca- he had a very very wide trip. You think he went four or five wide around the first team- turn. Four or five wide around the second turn. I think he went turn. five wide around both turns. He was just basically. hung he out to dry. He got a crap trip. He got it. And, and he was just run down late by Long Range Toddy? Long Range Toddy. Long Range Toddy. Long Range Toddy. for Steve Asmussen and Willis Horton Racing owned and bred. And he's a double A plus Trunex. You love the Trunex. Um, yeah, he ran a big race, Johnny Court uh, Road. And, and again, I'm going to say the same thing. I, I don't take anything away from Improbable. I think the question with Improbable is going to be distance and city zip, right? That's what people are saying. Can he get a mile and a quarter? But with the trip he had, I think he deserves another chance. And it'd be interesting to see uh, where he winds up. You think uh, the Arkansas Derby, so he'll face Omaha Beach and Long Range Toddy as we get closer to the first Saturday in May and the Kentucky Derby, the run for the roses. One thing to note about Improbable is he got very warm in the warm-up, and he did not break uh, like I'd like to see him break. And the margin for error in these races is so small, Michelle, right? These, this is when it's really, really serious time, and, and if you don't break well, and especially in these large fields, that's the kind of trip you're going to get. So, mm-hmm. um uh, you know, look, kudos to Long Ridge Toddy, who earned a bunch of points towards the Kentucky Derby. He's basically in. And same with Omaha Beach. I've always thought Omaha Beach was a really, really talented horse. And, and Warfront is on fire. He has not only uh, Omaha Beach, but War of Will, who I know you really like. And I think he's running this week at this weekend at the fairgrounds 
in the Louisiana Louisiana Derby. Derby. So uh, it's getting hot and heavy on the trail for the first Saturday in May. Well, we also had the Gotham Stakes from last week that we didn't talk about because you were at the sales this week. Correct. So Hikal Hikal, Hikal. uh, did win that over, you know, Instagram ended up finishing third and uh, much better. Is that his name? Rand. Yes in that race so I called jumped on the scene and while he was a relatively good price if I remember correctly I know several pundits liked him so it's not like he was a complete uh you know I really liked him I really liked him that day uh um and he got an absolutely dream pace setup much better went really fast on the lead was pressured I believe by Nick's go maybe I can't it was so long ago um improbable I mean not improbable uh, Instagram ran a hell of a race coming off the layoff for uh, Larry Best of OXO and Jerry Hollendorfer and had to have needed that race and should only move forward. I think you can't just look at these races and, and, and say that you know a horse like Game Winner and Probable or even Instagram won't move forward. These are still young, improving three-year-olds that have every chance, and now it's going to be who can get the points to get in the race. And uh, also had the Tampa Bay Derby, which went to Tassel. Tacitus, uh, out of Close Hatches, who I loved. Oh, we all love Close Hatches. Right? She was awesome. So that was exciting. And that was last week as well. That's Jedmont um, Farms. And there were some other big we races. Have to give credit. I have to give a little shout out. Yeah. To my girl, Midnight Bizu. She was really good for Jeff Bloom. My mom, re- my mom is smiling right now. Great ride by Mike Smith, saving ground, and that was a really stellar field. I think only five went to post, but you had to deal with the late, who's a Grade One winner, um, the filly that ran third, that won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Shamrock Rose. Shamrock Rose was in there. So credit to Jeff Bloom and Steve Asmussen for having Midnight Busu ready to fire, and that'll be an interesting race coming up at uh, Oakland with the Apple Blossom, the Grade One, because I think you're going to get the return of. Monomoy Girl. So you have Monomoy Girl, Midnight Bizu, and you know, Elaine. Midnight Bizu's like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, exactly. She's probably. <laughs> this bitch again. Yeah. Yeah. You got that straight. Uh, this is the host ownership network. Mom, you like Midnight Bizu? Yes, I do. Why? The ears have it. Just love her. Well, can you speak into the microphone? I just love her. I like her name. You just like I her like name. everything about Because the kisses. And you probably see her on Instagram and stuff. And it reminds me of Midnight Star. Oh, good, very good. Even though they're completely not related. But, but they that's, have the same first name. Yes. They do have the same first name. I'm so glad mom's here. I think she's probably going to be a very popular guest on here on the Horse Ownership Experience. Uh, we have Jim Cummings coming up any minute. Michelle, what else? Pat uh, Cummings. Why did I say Jim? I don't, you've said it like four times. That's um, really bad. Okay, so the Sunland Derby is also coming up this weekend where Mucho Gusto will oh, headline. Like and, um, and chasing yesterday in the Sunland Park Oaks. There you go. I think sometimes so we worked very quickly over the Santa Anita main track, which has been a touch on the slow side time-wise. Uh, she worked very fast. Yeah, she's uh, she's obviously Pharaoh's little sister, and uh, Baffert is coming from all angles for this year's Oaks and Derby, which is coming up first Saturday in May. Uh, Let's talk about uh, OBS now, Billy, because you were out there. I was out you there. Sold, you sold at least one. We sold one. We did okay. We we sold a really nice Carpe Diem Billy to uh, the Japanese. And uh, yes, we had um, we had another filly that just didn't. Didn't get uh, didn't get the attention that we wanted. Uh, Is that night- the tap winner no, memories? No, he's going to face tipped him. He'll sell next week. Okay. He's going to breeze over the grass there. I think he'll like it much better. Uh, but the um, the ghost sapper filly, I was kind of stunned. Um, she has some shins that we're going to take care of. I think people were thrown off by that, and she'll come back at a later sale, maybe even Santa Anita in June. 
But oh, we also nice. bought a nice horse. Did I you saw. See that? I yeah. saw. So we bought this golden really sense. Golden sense. Yeah, he's really nice. He's already at Santa Anita, which we've never done before. But he was so clean legged and fine and sound and we just said, well, let's just bring him in. I watched him jog this morning at Santa Anita. It's the first time I've ever had a two-year-old this early at Santa Anita. And he's and everyone in the barn loves him. His name is Rhaegar. He's named Great after name. Rhaegar Targaryen. Uh, if you don't watch Thrones, maybe you should start watching. And uh, we're really excited about it, Michelle. It's, the, you know, it's all about, we talk about this on the show so much. It's hope, right? It's the hope that next year... And, and I you get the bought chills. him privately. We bought him privately. Yes, he RNA'd After for a, or before. No, he RNA'd for a half a million dollars. And you got him for two twenty five. We got him for much less. Yes, uh, we went back and did, it took us a long time to get there, uh, but we finally made a great deal with uh, John Stevens, who's the consigner. I've known John for a long time, and and he wanted to get it done. We wanted to get it done, and and uh, we were able to get it done. But. Um, it was really exciting, really like excited about this horse. And if you're out there and listening and you'd like to join us for the syndication, email me, Billy at LittleRedFeather.com. We'll tell you all about it. Well, our sales topper was a Tappet out of Artemis Agroterra. Really good-looking colt. Um, and West Point Thoroughbreds ended up purchasing him. He's already named. His name is Chestertown. Chestertown. That's a good name. He was a beautiful horse. I saw him, Michelle. Is it a Tappet? Yes. You love Tappets? He is a Tappet, yeah. My mom, uh, I didn't love his work. He, I mean, it was nice. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he's got a lot there, and he's trying really hard. But he was just a hair green, and he's just a big, heavy dude. And he's big because it's on synthetic. It's just so like I felt like it was a hard to judge work, even though it was like, you know, okay time. Mom is shaking her head. She really likes Tappet. What do you like most about Tappet, Mom? I don't know. I just like it. You just like it because he was gray. Yeah. Yeah. She said. And this thing is a good looking gray. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. So Equine bought one for 1.2 million. By the way, the only pioneer of the Nile in the sales from our good friends Hobie and Lena Kite. Yeah, congratulations to them uh, selling that nice colt and and good luck. We we need people like Mr. Best in this game, and hopefully he continues to have success. So um, we're going to give a call to Pat Cummings. I said his name right. You did. Did yeah. You write it down. We're going. I didn't. I'm staring at the website actually. Oh, okay. Uh, we're going to give a call. Ronan's going to get him on the line. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about what's going on a little bit at Santa Anita because I know people want to hear and they have a lot of questions. My mom wants to know. And also Dubai World Cup we can oh, talk about. Oh, yes. I have. I printed out the list. Good job, Billy. Yeah. Hello. There's Pat. Is that Pat? Hey, guys. How you doing, man? It's Billy Koch yeah. and Michelle Yu and Rita Koch. My mom is on the show today, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> the mom, gang's all here. Say hello to Pat. Hi, Pat. Hello, Mrs. Koch. Pat, you are the executive director of what we're calling the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. And well, while Michelle and I are both very familiar with this and we think it's a great idea, could, would you mind just taking us a little back in ta- uh, time and telling us how this, this got started? We're, we're looking at the board of directors. There's some big names in here. Tell us, just tell us a little bit about uh, what – are we calling it TIF, T-I-F? Is that what we're calling it, or T-I-F? Yeah, T-I-F works. Okay. T-I-F works. All right. The, uh, the, the organization was founded roughly, I mean, the idea for the organization came about about one year ago, but the actual, Uh-oh. and the plan and the idea behind it was to create an organization that would advocate on behalf of owners and gamblers, okay. and to create something that would look out for the best interests of these, what we call the optional financial participants in the sport. 
trainers, horsemen, farriers. That's their job. But it's the we're fronting money to keep the show going. And we need to be looking out for them. The organization was founded by a shrewd group of directors who thought, generally speaking, that the existing powers that be weren't doing that and that it was high time to, to take a chance and, and to start doing that on our own. Yeah, and, and obviously we're behind it because that's one of the reasons we started this show is to get owners out there and to get their ideas and to, to bring new owners into the game and to come up with these ideas. So tell us a little bit about it, it, some of the ideas that you've come up with. I can see it on your website, but let's talk a little bit about it. It's, off, it's racingthinktank.com for people who are out there listening. Um, and, and you have a bunch of ideas that are already out here that you write articles about. So let's talk about a few of those. I think the most recent so, one is fascinating. Well, thanks, Michelle. The, uh, there were four main topics that we thought – uh, the industry needed to kind of consider and rally around and to basically use those four topics to then take subtopics and tell the stories of those through the papers. The, the four topics in particular are issues relative to pricing, transparency, product development, and access to information data. Sure. And each of the four papers have touched on one of those topics. In our first paper, we advocated that Racing adopt a penny breakage policy, which means giving back the full earned dividend in, say, um, any sort of bet that, that is made. Uh, an amount is rounded down, and it's the rounded amount that is given back to the better. And we say it's time to change that. Uh, that's an issue relative to pricing, that the, the cost of betting on racing is far too expensive. Um, we attack the issue of transparency by suggesting that racing consider an alternate way of judging the sport um, and adopt the international standard, what's known currently as Category 1 stewarding. America employs Category 2, and with Canada, we're the only remaining jurisdictions on the planet who use the current method that's in place, and it's a method that is far too litigious. There are far too many disqualifications. Well, Pat... Pat, you st- I hope we didn't lose you. Did we- tell us, tell us what that means. Category one stewarding uh, rather than category two. Can you tell us the differences? Well, uh, essentially, if you bought a horse in today's day and age, and that horse was cost uh, a, a chance for a better placing, then that's a typically grounds for disqualification. The international standard puts the burden on the horse that is affected. That if that horse would not have finished in front of the horse that um, impacted it, it, it won't get disqualified. There would be no change. Hmm. And it's a system that yields far fewer disqualifications, but it has to come with a changing structure on jockey penalties. But isn't that – I'm sorry to interrupt you. I mean, isn't that subjective, though, for, for the stewards? I mean, just hearing that, your explanation would be uh, – I mean, the, even when a horse is taken down, there's it's so much subjectivity towards the stewards on on if that horse could have placed better. We haven't. We, a lot of times we say, how how, do I, how are they supposed to know? Correct. There's there's a changing degree of subjectivity that is required. But no matter what the decision, the stewards will always be asked to infer something from the videos that they've seen and what they've witnessed. Um, 
What it does do, however, um, and, and the international standard is pretty clear on this matter, that it, it brings about a much clearer and consistent approach to stewarding where there is currently speaking um, far too much inference that is being judged by the stewards. And you can look at it and, and, and see the number of disqualifications and demotions that take place in North America versus other places. And we, we put that out in the paper that basically there's roughly nine times more demotions in the United States annually than there are in the United Kingdom. Wow. And you um, feel in Hong that, Kong, the number's even bigger. And you feel that that is a negative on the vast majority of gamblers out there, right? Uh, correct. And uh, it, it, it takes down far too many horses who are clearly, quote-unquote, the best. Hmm. Um, and this, this goes to a greater approach and a greater focus on transparency that we have so many races in this country and on this continent that, um, that the, 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 pers- the, the degree of transparency that we are given as owners and as betters is nowhere near at the level that it should be. Um, that we basically don't take ourselves seriously enough as a proper gambling sport and that there are steps that could be taken to do so. I actually have been invited to, to speak at a Stewart's continuing education course um, in a couple of weeks and, and look forward to sharing this opinion with some stewards very directly. Yeah, and that's it. And offer the yeah. international model as an alternative. It's fascinating. And what has been the reaction by the powers that be here in the United States for these this outcry? Um, it's funny because this this particular topic is, is very well supported by, say, the Jockey Club of New York. Um, they sit on the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities, which has made it very clear that Category 1 stewarding is a goal, uh, an international goal, and every major racing jurisdiction in the world has adopted that, bar the U.S. and Canada. Hmm. Now, on topics such as penny breakage, um, for nine decades, bet takers have been holding back a loose change and been keeping it for themselves. Interesting. That's a, it's a very difficult thing to, to suggest to people who've made money off of a particular uh, stream for, for up to nine decades to say, stop doing it this way, give that money, right. churn, and to show people the numbers of the impact. That's not easy. But our, our industry is not in a position to, to look differently. Um, Adjusted for inflation, handle on racing in North America, rather in the United States alone, again, adjusted for inflation is down 47% in the last 15 years. Uh, I don't think that's that a positive. That is not a, a lucrative position to be in. No. Let's go back Pat, to – oh, sorry, Michelle. I, I want to <laughs> stick on that on the, the stewards. Michelle and I have talked about this on our show before. The, you, know, you talk about uh, instant replay all the time in sports, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, all going to instant replay. Could there be a centralized uh, steward in somewhere in the middle of the country that has a bunch of stewards sitting around watching all the races where they could do something very consistently with transparency and, and just change the rules so that we all have this, a level playing field when it comes to these disqualifications? There is a chance for that, Billy. Um, I will go so far as to say that in our recommendation, we did not advocate for a centralized office. Um, and, and I will say having basically sat in the steward's room in Hong Kong for three years. Uh, not many Americans can say that, but, but I had the pleasure to do so. And 
there is something to be said for the direct relationship that the stewards have with the participants in the sport of that particular jurisdiction. And they have to know the way in which they behave on a regular basis. Um, if you're going to interact with them to the degree in which the stewards have to in a category one style environment. Now, some people say that the stewards have far too much action and far too much awareness of the characteristics and the personalities, but they're humans. And, you know, it, it is a sport where, where so much interaction is required. The difference, the difference is that in a place like Hong Kong or Australia, uh oh on race day and have to explain the decisions they made right then and there face to face that doesn't happen here and so right. there is a, a it, it's a very it's a, it's a real cultural shift so uh, look you could end up getting to that centralized model at some point i'm not going to say that that's not possible but um, we don't think it's necessary to go with a switch to category one okay michelle yeah, um Obviously, all these ideas are great, and we have a lot of ideas thrown around, you know, racing constantly, especially because of social media. But what is TIF doing to try and get something changed? Like, have you seen any movement in the industry? We have seen some, Michelle. Uh, we're While we're putting out these uh, white papers and we're advocating for, for change within them, um, that isn't the only stopping point. So direct to some racing organizations, we are surveying the landscape and identifying the places where we think these sorts of things could actually be applied, where they could, could, could be put into practice and implemented. And so we, we're having some very, uh, I'd say, uh, open and frank discussions right now with the New York Racing Association on the breakage issue. New York has the most liberal breakage policy in America, and we're advocating for them to take it one step farther. And, and working with, you know, it, it is far more than just uh, putting it out there and just hoping somebody picks it up and runs with it. Relative to our third paper, where we identified what we think racing needs to do in a legal sports betting environment. We've been working with the horsemen's groups in select states horsemen are, are, are really the keys to getting new types of wagers on racing priceable. And we've also been working with some third parties, um, some really innovative bet uh, makers and some, some uh, groups that are, are trying to bring about change within the sports uh, uh, betting and sports technology landscape that, that we think would benefit our sport. So we're, we're trying to, to advance those interests on behalf of the industry, and uh, it's an ongoing pursuit. Um, I think we've got ourselves a really good foundation with these four papers, and we'll continue to put it forward. One of the, the, one the yeah, go ahead, go ahead Billy. Oh, I was going to say the uh, the last one that we didn't talk about, which I we, we've talked about on the show many, many times in our four Free years of existence. Well. <laughs> Free. Yeah, have you seen those commercials? Free, 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 free. They're very funny. Um, I, there's two. There's two more to discuss. Um, one is the free data, and the other is, is takeout. Um, let's go free data first. Uh, uh, Pat, tell us a little bit about the the concept there uh, with Equibase, kind of controlling everything. Sorry. Yeah. Look, Equibase has done some wonderful things for this industry. They were founded in 1990 at a time when the industry did not have an official data source and Equibase became that. And it was industry funded and 
um, you know, they are now the central repository and that that's been a very good thing. Um, however, our opinion is that in where we stand right now and what is a very analytics uh, data driven era, that it is time to, given the state of the industry, given the state of handle, um, it's time to open up that data, put it in the hands of the people and let them have at it. Let, let the people be the determinant of what is offered, um, what they find value in. Let them process it. Don't just be reliant on a rigid past performance line that has been structured and developed and pretty much unchanged for a very long time. Let's let the people have at it. Um, You've mentioned I've seen different levels of, of, of receipt of that idea, but you know that's to be expected. So you're not saying let's do away and make DRF everything free, but the raw data itself, and then once you add your own figures or numbers or whatever to it, it's okay to sell at that point. Absolutely, Michelle. That is value added. That is proprietary. There. We are suggesting that a free, basic past performance should be available for all racetracks. And then the free, raw data, a feed that, frankly, is above my educational background. I don't know how to parse a raw XML feed or comedy-limited files. I don't know how to do that. But there are plenty of people who do, and those people know big betters, and they want to get into that, and they want to try that, and they want to manipulate that data to see what And if it's not happening in 2019, um, I don't know why it isn't, because it's happening in every other sport. Racing should be part of that. Well, I think that's interesting that you pointed out the depth of um, free information that's available in Hong Kong where you spent some time. And they not only include past performances, but complete vet records, complete works. Um, Why are they able to besides the fact they have a limited number of race days. I mean, is there another reason that they're able to compile so much and deliver that data? They're able to do it. The amount of the data that can be offered is a function of the very small nature of the jurisdiction. It's 1300 horses, 88 race meetings, and the jockey club is able to control everything. That is a utopian scenario for us that we will never see achieved. I think Australia offers a much better example of that where, they they do have we offer in the paper the example of racing and sports.com which offers free past performances in the same style for racing in 15 different countries um a lot of data that's uh, able to be manipulated by the users um really it's, it's a very friendly approach to the sport and and they say very clearly that data is supposed to drive wagering you shouldn't be pricing data on its own this huge barrier that people have to get over and basically make up the difference of in terms of winning before they actually ever find themselves getting ahead um and and i think the australian model is probably the one that is is most approachable for the american market but um you know i think equibase is judged by the ability uh, to, to sell more and more data. And that's wrong. I think they should be judged on whether or not the, the wagering terms that that is good for their business. Equibase is owned by the tracks and the jockey club in partnership. These entities should want to see wagering increase. They shouldn't want to just sit back and enjoy the spoils of data sales and profits coming from that. It's great points. Pat Cummings, Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. Uh, Pat, change is scary. 
uh, horse racing has always been a little bit behind the times. I don't think anybody would would argue that point. There's been some recent changes at Santa Anita. Michelle and I can't really go into it too much. Santa Anita is one of the sponsors of our show, and Michelle actually works for Santa Anita. But I'd like to hear your opinion on on the changes that were agreed to by the TOC, um, or the horsemen, I should say, the TOC and the CTT, uh, with the Stronach Group. Well, you know, for me, when it comes to the medication changes, uh, this is really the international standard that has been in place uh, pretty much across the world. And the International Federation of Horse Racing Authorities came out uh, just yesterday and, and said that it was great to see that, that these are, have been suggested and are likely to be implemented and um, that they called on the rest of North America to join. Um, now, the way in which this happened isn't all that um, supportable. Um, Correct. The way in which it has happened is, is, is not what I necessarily can get behind, but I, I can certainly get behind the main premise, say that um, you know, it's good to see America uh, maybe having an area where they're going to try and, and, and approach that international standard. Now, I, I have long been torn as to what I think is right for American racing and right for American horses compared to all of my knowledge internationally. But I will say that the on-course stabling of horses in, in a mass kind of setting is very unlike almost anywhere else. Hmm. Basically being the U.S. and uh, uh, Japan and, and Hong Kong. Um, pretty much everywhere else, you know, the horses are, are stabled in other areas. And, and what is the impact scientifically on that? It's, it's tough for me to say, but... We just and um, we just don't have I the land. That, I mean, where are they going to be in California, right? I mean, it's yeah, correct, correct. No, I'm, I'm not arguing yeah. uh, the, that that the status quo is the way it is. You know that we have the way it is in other places where maybe the air is different and the conditions for living are a little bit different. But um, I, I think there is something to be said for the fact that in this. On this planet, there's about 140,000 horse races a year, and the 40,000 that we run on this continent have different medication policies than the other 100,000. Uh, we're in the minority. And, um, you know, I felt like change was going to come at some way, shape, or form at some point in time, and it seems maybe it's going to come a little bit quicker to a certain portion of our population. I'm not a huge fan of the fact that uh, other tracks aren't a part of this. Uh, yeah, I thought that was. I, I thought we'll that was. Happens. I thought that was strange, Pat. And we talked about it on the show a little bit. I, I, I and I, I think I'm f- fair in in this assessment that I think it's strange that the other Stronic owned tracks, namely Laurel and Gulfstream, wouldn't just automatically also put uh, be ha- excuse me have this policy addressed. It just seems strange. Are, are our horses in California at greater risk? What it, what what is your take on that? Well, and I would also suggest that, you know, to, to, to go in line with that same kind of premise that in the press release that was put in the letter from Belinda Stronach, there were quotes from uh, PETA organization and Kathy Guillermo. And I find it interesting that there aren't pickets and protests outside of all of the other racetracks in North America begging for them to, to be changing to the Santa Anita policy as well. That to me seems like it's the next logical thing to happen. That if you aren't a part of this, um, then then shame on you, right? 
um, that seems to be the approach that I would get by 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 them talking about how great these these changes are. Um, right. Then, then why aren't they? It seems like it's a blueprint to suggest to any other racetrack what you need to do, or else Pete is going to come knocking at your door. I will say that personally, as a, as a horse owner, um, as a better, as someone who absolutely loves this industry and, and has since basically I was about seven or eight years old, um, what happens when the next horse dies huh. and the horse after that? Yep. Um, because it took 21 horses to sh- uh, to die to shut down the track. It took. A, one more to die for this report to come out. What happens with the next one or the one after that? It might not happen next week or next month, but it's going to happen at some point. And I'm very interested to see the, the degree of progression in this dialogue, considering what has happened with one incremental on-course death that was uh, publicized. Right. I agree with you, Pat. I think it's very, it's something that really shook up our industry, and especially Michelle and I are both here in California, obviously, as you know. Um, and there's been a level of uncertainty and I've said the same thing. And I think people on, uh, if you read social media and you follow the news, I mean, it's getting blown out. A lot of it's getting blown out of portion because this is, unfortunately, it's part of our game there. Like you just said it. I mean, it's going to happen again that you, the track can be in perfect condition. You can take away all the medication and a horse, unfortunately is going to break down and un- they're not like human athletes. They can't survive if I could offer yeah go ahead Pat. Billy just one yeah. other thing um I, I think to me and, and frankly to our organization one of the things that we are hoping to tackle here in the not too distant future is is to create something that will properly uh engage educate inspire the average American not the average horse lover, but the average American, the person who sits there and watches cute dog and cute cat videos to understand more about horses and horse care and the money that goes into keeping these majestic animals in the state and condition in which they are in, which in many cases is excellent. Um, we, We have failed as an industry to do that for many, many years. And as Americans become more and more gapped uh, away from an, an agricultural lifestyle, um, which Dr. Jennifer Durenberger from New York suggests roughly four generations at this point, the farther we get away from that, the more troubling and the more difficult it is to, to teach people who basically only understand life of domesticated animals. Um, we need to do a lot more, and we have a couple ideas and things that we're hoping to roll out, uh, like I said, in a not-too-distant future that we think will uh, will help do that, and will help do it at a mass-market level. We're not talking about horse fans. We're talking about mass-market, um, average, ordinary Americans who need to understand and need to embrace the majesty of the American thoroughbred. There is a chance to do it, and, and we're going to... We're going to offer a couple ways to do it. I just awesome. got I just got the chills. I think that, that's... You know what? I never even thought about that, how far removed we are. And it's funny because we watch a lot of, like, Dr. Pohl at my house, and he's, like, a farm vet in Michigan. And when people come over, they're like, I didn't know you did that with horses. And it's like, these are people in my life that are around animals constantly. 
And, you know, yeah. they don't even see some of that. So that's fascinating. I never thought about how far removed we are from being yeah. an agricultural society. That's a great point. Pat that's true. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who haven't had that chance, and, and we're looking forward to, to coming up with some ways to bring it to them. Well, Pat, Excellent. how do, do people I, – I, on your website, which is uh, racingthinktank.com, you, there's, a, there's a button for submit ideas. You can sign up for the newsletter. How do we get more, how do we get more involved? What, what, what kind of message can we send? Well, certainly uh, – we can get in terms of social media and interaction from fans. Um, when when people submit ideas to us, we, we we've done it once so far where we had a about uh, six or twelve ideas that we, that we published um, from fans that were submitted, and, and the the top three ideas we made contributions to the the racing related charity of their choice that we thought were the winners. For what it's worth, there was a tie, but one of, one of the winning ties was a, a tarping system for turf courses, and, and the other was like um, a way to, to, to get student discounts on big race days, which we have shied away from the industry, but I know is, is something that has been done well in England. Um, and, and we publish these in the form of idea blasts. So we'll, we'll solicit them from time to time and ask people to submit their ideas and send them to us, and if, if we think that they you know, have, have some merit, we'll, we'll let that person know that we'll put them up for publishing and, and, uh, and see if they might take hold. That's very cool. One, one I last have, question. I got, I have, oh, you got, what do you, okay. what do you got, Michelle? Go. Well, first I, I want to ask that I feel like a lot of the guys on the board and present company excluded, um, are on a lot of different boards, right? The same older men and they're on all these different boards and we haven't seen a lot of change despite a lot of words that come out of people's mouth so why has this been different in actually getting some results or some movement well i don't know if we have the results yet michelle but we're certainly working towards that and i'd love to be able to put a nice win on the board uh, a real proper win on the board so to speak but um, the people that we have on our board um, they are a great cross-section of the industry uh, they've been on many other industry boards, too, and have expressed the same degree of frustration that they have not seen enough movement, enough change within this industry. And they're motivated to, to take a different approach, uh, inspired by, by Craig Burnick from Glen Hill Farm and uh, the team that he has put together. You know, we, we have Leslie Howard from Stone Street. We have Jack Wolf from Starlight. We have Rory Babbage, who is directly connected with uh, Vinnie Viola, St. Elias Stables, and, and that whole team. Uh, Gary Stevens, Donna Brothers, Paul Matisse, who's a great horse player, a professional player for many years, Corey Johnson in Kentucky. I mean, we've got a great group of folks who who say, I'm tired of the old way where not a lot's gotten accomplished. Let's try this in a different way. And to be fair, we run into plenty of critics, people who say your ideas, they're no different than anybody else's. I'll see it when I believe it. And, and plenty of people who, who have uh, who have doubts and who've actually tried to, you know, talk us down. Um, but frankly, if you looked at the past performances of, those, of the sport and the way in which change has been handled in the past, I don't know how you could think any differently. You know, lack of change is the, is, is the one to five favorite in horse racing. And change and doing things a different way in a, in a, in a two-horse race is, is a three-to-one long shot. Yeah. Um, so, so. We're trying to fight the good fight on behalf of the long shots and on behalf of people who put a lot of money and time and effort into this sport. And if we see this, it's, it's, it's high time um, that, that that long shot wins the race and that we fight against those one to five 
entrenched, uninterested in change parties, um, and and really think that the market demands it now. Well, Pat Countison, I think you've uh, you made believers of myself and Michelle I, and, I do and have my one mom. More thing to ask though. Yeah. Um, very quick, Pat. We had a one question on our Twitter. Uh, what country is the most forward thinking in regards to horse racing, and why? Generally speaking, Michelle, I, I, I have to think Australia. Um, they offer, you know, from, from the gambler's perspective, they have fixed odds. They have exchange wagering. They have the paramutual pools. A lot of exotic bets uh, through Australia. They have great terrestrial coverage, a lot of online interactions, a lot of free information and past performances to the public. Um, Hong Kong is very easy to say that I would think Hong Kong is very forward. But uh, like I said earlier, it's such a utopian ideal that is almost difficult to, to replicate. The Australian model for me would be the one that, uh, that I think is and, – and it's growing. You know, uh, turnover is growing on an annual basis in Australia. So I would – Interesting. Pat, thank you very much for spending the time. We are all out of time. We really, really appreciate it. We wish the Third Bed Idea Foundation the best. We've had Craig Burnick on our show. Um, we're, we're, Michelle and I are both big believers in, in any idea right now that, because we need to turn this uh, turn our, our game that we all love around. And uh, so we, we really appreciate the time. Thanks uh, to you guys. And if you want to go run through some walls with me later today, I'll, I'll be doing it uh, right after I get off the phone. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. You you made us feel like you're, you're a good coach, Pat. We appreciate it. Pat Cummings from TIF, right, Thoroughbred right. Idea Foundation. Thank you, Pat, here on Thanks, the Horse Pat. Ownership Experience, racingthinktank.com. Very interesting stuff, Michelle. Very well spoken. Um, change is hard. Change is scary. And, but the, the position that we are in right now in horse racing, we need change uh, and we need new ideas. So I appreciate what they're doing personally. And my mom was smiling. Rita, how did you feel about that? You can talk into very, the thing. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Is there like one to, thing? I'd like to see what Australia's doing. Yeah. I'd like to hear more about that. Well, maybe we can have someone on. And, from... and I think you need more youth. 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 Mm. Right. I really do. To get new ideas. Okay. Well, I think that's respectful. And I think it's uh, I think it's good. I think. Well, that was like why I asked him too, like why this why this group is making a difference when those same you know guys. Well, I feel. Do you feel kind of Jack and all them? They're on a lot of boards, and we don't see change. But I feel like now they say they'd like to see it, but we haven't seen it. But I think these. What I feel from this TIF, I feel that they are organized in a way that they're going to get some power behind them rather than just individuals coming up with idea or a group that has been around for a while, whether it's TOBA or the TOC or uh, whatever it is. I just feel like they, it, maybe it's concentrated, this concentrated effort that they're not trying to do too much, that they're going to take these, like they have four papers online right now, and they're going to take those four papers and, and try to make a difference. And he's going to run through walls, and that's what he said. So I'm I believe him. I hope it works. I got to be honest with you. I hope it works. We have about three minutes left in the show, Michelle, and I know we have a lot of stuff coming up. Well, Santa Anita, just so everybody knows, and most people who listen to our show know, they're not opening till March 29th. That's Friday, March 29th. They've juggled the stake schedule accordingly. Um, there's going to be some big days at Santa Anita on the 30th of March and April 6th, which is Santa Anita Derby, Santa Anita Handicap, I believe the Kilrow, um, or maybe the Kilrow's on the side. I'm confused now. Sorry, Michelle. 
That's okay. Talk I'm, to me. I'm, I'm confused too. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's but very... they open, they reopen the 29th. So that's going to be the, the good, the good right. part. And I'm so, I'm kind of excited. Like, I feel like it's almost opening like day. a new opening day. Right. Right. Mom, mm-hmm. are you excited? Absolutely. What are I'll you doing you. right now with your days when there's no racing? Are you betting in other jurisdictions? Of course. How do you tell <laughs> everyone how you bet mom? On TVG. Yeah. She's a big TVG guy. Girl. Girl. Woman. Mm. Lady. What's your style of, of betting? How do you mean? Like, do how mean? do you, what do you bet? You, are you a win better, exactas? What do you? You know me. I, I bet to show. She bets to show. I like to get money. Yeah. But yeah. I do like to do, like, exactas if I see them. And see mostly on the names or trainers or? Actually, both. And, yeah. I, and, and I like to see, you know, yeah, I like to see who the, the mom and the dad are. Right. Very into pedigree. Yeah. You're a pedigree yeah. expert. Yeah. yeah. Tis yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. All right, Michelle, back to you. What, what else do we got? <laughs> Okay, well, we do have the Dubai World Cup um, coming up, but we can always preview that next week because we'll still be, you know, a couple days out from right. it. So we but can th- look forward to that. They just announced the field today, and we do have some amazing horses. Like from amazing. Over here going. Yeah, like great fields. Where, where I, the, which, the Golden Shaheen, in, Dubai. in my opinion, is going to be the best race I was of the night. just going to say that, Michelle, I swear. I mean, Imperial Hint, Roy H, Promises Fulfilled, XY Roy Jet. H? Roy H, Mom, that's one of your Drafter. favorites. Drafted. Drafted, sorry, Switzerland, yeah. Tatoki, Fight Hero, Nine Below Zero. I don't know some of the you know Japan and Ireland horses, but I know X Y Jet, Promises Fulfilled, Roy H, Imperial Hint are all very fast. I know that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a good race. And in the Dubai World Cup, Michelle, some of your favorite horses are in there. Are you going to be okay? I know, right? I mean, Gronkowski, <laughs> you love. Watch. I'm just not going to watch. Oh, the Gronk. The Gronk. You the like Gronk, Mom? Mm. I kind of see you as like a Yoshida fan. No, I don't know. You don't know Yoshida? Yoshida? Uh-uh. Okay. All right. Well, he's running. Okay. Um, and Billy, uh, the Alquaz sprint, I think, with Blue Point, Stormy Liberal, and Belvoir Bay it's gonna is going to be, cool gonna be pretty good, too. Absolutely. So we have nothing coming up at Santa Anita this weekend. We do have the Louisiana Derby. And listen, for those of you who, who don't have anything to do and, and you missed the horses, come out in the mornings. Michelle's there. I'm there. We're watching workouts, breezes. We're getting ready for Santa Anita to reopen on the 29th, and we're excited about it. Really special. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Anyone that wants to come back to the barn and see what goes on, shoot me a message, and I'm happy to accommodate that to anybody. That's on Twitter, at the Michelle U. You could tweet the show, at Own a Horse, at BKLRF. One last thing, Billy. Yeah. We always have to talk about aftercare, right? We always so have to talk about aftercare. My aftercare story of the week is um, Anamia. She recently went out on her own, and uh, she won her first race with a horse named Stringent, and they have actually retired him, and he is in training now to be their barn pony. Oh, that's a very cool story. Great story. Good good, good job, Anamia. We appreciate it. Thanks for, to Pat Cummings. Michelle, great booking with Pat Cummings from the Thoroughbred Idea Foundation. You can reach them right Thinktank.com. Special thanks to Santa Anita, to Del Mar, and especially to uh, Travis White and Taylor Maid who make this show possible. Michelle, you're the best. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Mom, thanks for coming in. A pleasure. Okay. Talk to you guys nice later. Nice talking to you. All right. Nice thanks, Michelle. Bye. Bye. You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch. And Michelle Yu, right here on LA Talk Radio. Midnight Storm, a brilliantly fast grade one winner by Pioneer of the Nile. 
Mike Smith just points him in the right direction. Midnight Storm dominating. Millionaire and seven-time graded stakes winner on dirt and turf. Midnight Storm over accelerators, finding the line well, but not well enough. And Midnight Storm has taken it by two lengths. From America's hottest sire line. Midnight Storm, he wins it this year. Midnight Storm. Standing at TaylorMade Farm.